Lord God, again, we come before you in, in thanksgiving, with the heart of thanksgiving, for being, bringing us here. You've planned this all out from the beginning of time, Lord. And, uh, and we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity right now to just to, to read and study your word, Lord. Open our hearts, our minds, Lord, to hear from you, to learn from you. Speak to us directly. Even if it's just one sentence, one word, may we just be open to what you have to say, Lord. In these passages, in, this, in, in your word here, Lord, you, you say a lot. And you say this because you love us and because you... You want us to continue loving you. And so we dedicate this time to you right now, Lord, again, and ask that, again, you pour your Holy Spirit in this room or upon this room. And may I, may I honor you now as I teach your word. Use me not to speak my words, but your words, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 12. And what I typically do is I'll read the section and then I'll get into, into the teaching. So our first part, our first section we're going to get into is 1 John chapter 2. And we are in, going to be starting in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven, because of Jesus' name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have had victory over the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have victory over the evil one. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you notice, admire, respect people in different stages of their spiritual development. But when you're a new Christian, you, I know this was my experience. You look at these people that, these people that have been serving the Lord for many, many years, and you tell yourself, man, I just want to be like them. You know, I just, uh, how did they get there? And like, man, they must, you know, uh, what kind of wisdom and knowledge? I want that wisdom and knowledge. Like, what do I need to do to get there? You know, you, you almost become, I don't know, you, you want to be them, but you don't, again, realize what they've been through. All of us have started off as new Christians. All of us have started off that way. And again, it takes time. It takes time to, to be where these older, mature Christians, I mean, I'm thinking of maybe of Billy Graham. You know, they've lived, he's almost 100 years old. And he's been through a lot. He's seen a lot. He's experienced a lot. He didn't get to where he's at just because, you know, just one, one day from another. 
it was a process. It was, it was a long process. Our Amy Carmichael once penned these words. Sometimes when we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors, we feel, most, we feel most, almost despondent. I feel that I should never be like that. But they won through step, they won, they won through step by step by little bits of wills, little denials of self, little inward victories by faithfulness in, the, in very little things. They became what they are. No one sees these little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishments or the accomplishment. But even so, those small steps were taken. There is no sudden triumph, no, no spiritual maturity. That, that is the work of the moment. Now, as I already mentioned in this first section of these verses I just read, John is directly addressing the readers according to their spiritual maturity. He begins verse 12 by addressing all his readers with the same tender words he used in verse 1. He says, little children. Now here he is referring to all believers reading this letter who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. John then reiterates to them the assurance that as true born-again believers, their sins have been forgiven because of the name of Jesus, because of Jesus' name. Reminding them that on the cross, Jesus Christ became the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and thus God no longer sees us on the basis of our sinful nature. Now in the following two verses is, is where again he addresses himself to, to believers according to their spiritual maturity, maturity. And there's three groups here. The first group he mentions are the fathers. These are the men and women who are older and have grown strong in their faith through years of knowing what it's like to walk with the Lord. Those who fall in this category, he says, you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. This knowledge they have is not so much an intellectual knowledge, though that is part of it, but more so an experiential knowledge. They've experienced a lot, like I, like I mentioned earlier. They've been broken. They've seen pain. They've felt that pain. They've experienced what it's like to be in, to be in those valleys, to be in those deserts, to be hungry, to be to, to see death, to see life. It's that experiential knowledge. John reiterates the same thing to them in verse 14 to emphasize the same idea. The relationship with Jesus Christ that people at the stage of spiritual growth have is both true and deep. Now the second group he addresses are the young men. These are the men and women who are not new in the faith, but, but still not yet mature in the, in the same way he's speaking about with the fathers. These are actively involved in ministry and continuing in the selfless work of the fathers. I would probably consider myself 
one of these young men. When Paul was writing to Timothy and Titus, he was addressing them as young men. These were the young men who were working hard in the ministry, who are the soldiers, who are out there doing the work, who are being, you know, persecuted, who are, you know, reaching out, trying to get people to serve, just to accept Jesus into their hearts, who are preaching the gospel. In verse 13, John tells them, you have had victory over the evil one. They've been through the battles with the devil and his demons that, sought, that have sought to destroy their spiritual lives and have been victorious. He then also emphasizes this to them in verse 14 by telling them that, that not only have they overcome the wicked one, but they've, been, but they've done it through the strength that comes to them through the word of God. Now we come to our final group. This last group John addresses are the children. The word here has a different meaning than how it's used in verse 12. And it refers to those men and women who are in the first stages of their, of their spiritual growth. These are the young Christians, the new Christians, who are young in the faith and are still being taught what it means to follow Christ. Like physical children, these spiritual children know their father, but they still have a lot of growing up to do. Now that's what he's explaining here. That's what he's talking about here. Now let me take a moment to personally speak to those who are mature, who are young and new in the faith. To those men and women who maybe consider themselves as more mature in the faith, pass on to others what you've learned. Pass on to others the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience that you've had, that you've been through. Paul said in Romans 5, 1 and 2, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Also, be an example to those who are young and new in the faith. Titus 2, 2 says, Older men are to be level-headed, level worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, and in and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, are to teach what is good. This is what he wants for these older, more mature Christians. Just to pass it, pass on what you've what you've learned, what you've been through. Now to those who consider themselves young in the faith, keep growing in the Lord. Don't stop. He has so much to teach you. Don't stop running the race. Keep going. Keep growing in the Lord and pursue the things of God. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity. And later, in 1 Timothy 6.11, he says, But you, man of God, 
run from these things. And he's talking about sin. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Don't stop running. Keep going, young man, young woman in the faith. One day you're going to be mature, a mature, older Christian. And again, you're going to be passing this information down to those who are in, this, who are in the position you're in now. You're going to have a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom that needs to be passed down. Now to those who are new in the faith, remember this, and this is maybe something you've heard before. Before you can run, you must learn to walk. 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn infants, desire pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation. Also, seek out those who have been walking with the Lord and learn from them. Don't be afraid to, to reach out to those who have been through the mess. They're there, and if they have a heart of love and they have a heart of ministry, they're going to they're gonna serve. They're going to reach out. They're going to be there to help you. And in, in, it says in Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. But regardless of where you believe you are in your spiritual growth, the fact is we don't ever stop growing in the Lord. You see, maturity, full maturity, isn't completed until we're with the Lord, until we're face to face with Him, until we leave these bodies and are with the Lord. That's when our, we've reached full maturity. And that's the goal we ought to attain. We ought to keep growing until we get there. Now all three of these group make up the Christian family and they all play a vital role in the church and in the way we all minister to each other. It's those who seek to continually grow and mature who will find themselves more concerned with loving God and doing His will and less concerned with what the world has to offer them. So now after giving his readers these different Christians or these Christians who are in different stages of their growth, their spiritual development, after giving them a shout out, he's aware of the attractions of the world. He's aware that they can become appealing and then he strongly urges against loving the world. And this is what he writes about next. So let's read on. We're in verse 15. First John chapter 2, verse 15. There he says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's own lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with his lusts is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains 
forever. I think we've all heard of celebrities or maybe even famous entrepreneurs that have those rags to riches stories. But I'm also sure that you might have heard of stories of Christians who started out the same way and somehow, some way, along that path to success, they're no longer walking with the Lord. Something happened. And I hope to explain what, what it is here. But, well, let me begin here. The Greek word that John uses here for world, it doesn't refer to people. He's not talking about do not love the people of the world. He's not saying that at all. But he's rather, he's talking about a philosophy and a mentality of the world system. So by saying, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world, he's telling those whom he just addressed, whom he just addressed, not to seek the pleasure in culture, in a culture and system that is opposed to God and hostile to Jesus, Jesus and his followers. He then states what he means by those who love the world. The love for the Father is not in him. Now one of the reasons I like this particular translation is because it clarifies verses such as this, confusing passages like this one. Now most translations, some translations read, the love of the Father isn't in him and could be misinterpreted as God's love for us, rather, or what I mean, a, a love that originates from God. However, in the present context, John is speaking of the believer's love for the Father. So the point he's making is, is this, that if people love the world, they do not love the Father because they stand in opposition to one another. In verse 16, John then shares three aspects that define those things that make up the world. The first thing he mentions is the lust of the flesh. These are the physical desires that make you want to feel good, that make your body feel good. It could be sex, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be gambling, it could be um, pornography, whatever it is. These are things that give you that high, that give you that adrenaline rush. This is the love of the, the lust of the flesh. Then he talks about the lust of the eyes. These are the sinful cravings which are activated by pe what people see and lead to that desire to want things that they can't have, to covet could be walking around the mall, walking around the store and seeing all these things that you're like, man, I, I need to have that. I want to have that. It's seeing something that you really, really desire and doing whatever it takes to get that. It's, it's what looks good to you. It may look good to you. I mean, it may not look good to another person, but it looks good to you. This is the lust of the eyes. And then he says, and the pride of one's lifestyle. This would be someone who lives for su superiority over others. 
by impressing them through real or false outward appearances. Someone who drives a Lambo, someone who has that Rolex, someone who's walking around with Versace, whatever it is, and making themselves like they're better than you. Regarding these, regarding these three elements, he asserts that their origin is not from the Father, but is from the world. And as we know, anything seeking to draw us away from walking in the light will only lead us into darkness, where sin and worldliness dwell. Now John concludes this warning by declaring these components that make the world appealing, that make the world, they're not gonna last forever. These three components, they're not eternal. They're not gonna last forever. However, anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now it's very easy for anyone to read these three verses and say, yeah, you know, I love God. My heart belongs to Jesus. I love him with all my mind, all my strength, and all my soul. It's very easy to say that. And it's very easy for them to claim, oh, I would never love the world, or I don't love the world. That would never happen to me. But the reality is, it's not until that Christian has been given a certain amount of wealth, fame, and power that their true heart regarding these verses are ex is, expo is exposed. You see, the devil has a way of using those things that you're passionate about and exploiting them with temptations that would be more desirable to you than to somebody else. He knows your weaknesses and has specific tools to inflict the most damage. Now, although we may not know how, what those specific tools are or how he will use them, the good news is that we know the methods that he uses. He uses the same methods all the time. He's, he's used them since the Garden of Eden. The lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. And you know why the devil uses them? Because they work. He, those methods work. So here's the thing. Once you understand the methods he uses, God will train and equip you with what you need to resist those temptations. The first thing you ought to do is to be honest with yourself. Be honest with who you are. Be honest with those things, with, those, with, with what drives you, what you're passionate about, what you would do anything for. For me, I know that I'm, I can be driven to be heard. I smile because I always tell my wife, you hear me, you hear what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> you know I have, I, I, I do. I mean, there's, I have that, we, that I guess, weakness. I want to be heard and I want to be accepted. I know that about myself. And knowing this about myself, I'm aware that the devil will use 
the pride of life to exploit that and tempt me to seek out or rely on the affirmations of others to make me feel good about myself, to puff me up. If I had someone who I admired, who was, you know, who I respected, come up to me and say, hey, you know what, Angel, you're, you're an awesome guy. You're, you know, you're doing great and you're, you know, don't stop what you're doing. That would, I mean, I, I know that that would probably puff me up. But again, I'm aware of these things and I'm, I have to be careful when it comes to that because I don't get my affirmations from anybody else. I shouldn't be getting it from, any, any, from anyone else. God has already redeemed me. I'm already affirmed. He loves me. He died for me. Now God also gives you his word to hold on to. Now this is what Jesus used when he was tempted in the desert. And he was tempted in the desert by the devil. And you remember the story. Every time the devil came around to tempt him, he just answered back with scripture. He knew his word. He knew what God desired for him. Another tool at your disposal is the Holy Spirit living in you. He will give you the discernment, the discernment to know when you're being tempted. He will he'll let you know, hey, you know what? There's something going on here. This is tempting you. This is, you know, this is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He'll tell you. If you're relying on him and he really lives strongly in you, you'll know. And finally, God gives you an unconditional love that the world will never give you, that the world will never be able to offer you. And you know what? That unconditional love is eternal. The world will never be able to offer that. Nothing that the world offers will be able to give you that unconditional love. Now, let me just add that I'm not discouraging anybody that wants to be successful. And I don't want to prevent you from reaching your goals. You know, when you're young, you have all these aspirations and these you know, to, to be something, to do something. And that's the last thing I want to do. I don't want to discourage anybody here. But if your goal is to be a successful, a successful entrepreneur, maybe an athlete, a musician, anything really, then go for it. Do it. But do it with the words of Colossians 3.23 in mind. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. But also be aware that the higher you climb in the, in the ladder of success, the more tempting the lust of the flesh will be, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
you have to be able to combat these things. And if you're unable to combat them now, right now, that you're just living off top ramen and pizza, um, you know, it's going to be really, really, really hard. If all of a sudden you're given millions to take care of, or you're given, you know, all of a sudden you're put into the spotlight and you become famous, it's going to be easy just to walk away. Now, before I move on to the last section of our passage this morning, I want us to zoom out a little to see some things that he's already covered. And the reason I do that again, because it, it has to do with the last, the last passage we're going to look at. John already presented two tests whereby one could be reassured of his right standing with God. The first is the moral test. Anyone claiming to know God will demonstrate it by, by seeking, seeking to live in obedience to Him. The second was a social test. Anyone claiming to know God will love what He loves, namely other believers. In the next few verses, John provides a third test. This, te- this test is a theological one, relates to a proper understanding of what, one, of what one believes who Jesus Christ is. So let's read that last passage, that last section. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as, if you've, and as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out f- from us, but they did not belong to us. For, it, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I have n- not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the Father. Who is the liar, if not the, one who den- if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Now, addressing his readers once again as with that affectionate term of children, he tells them that this is the last hour for them to live, and this is basically, this is the last hour for them to live in constant expectation of Jesus' return. One of the main signs that will signal his imminent return will be the appearing of a world leader known as the Antichrist. He is described in 1 Thessalonians as the man of lawlessness who will deceive many people and ultimately wage war against God. However, John's focus here isn't necessarily on him, but rather on those who will, on those antichrists who will come prior to that main antichrist. These antichrists are the little A's instead of the capital A antichrist. The presence of these antichrists is evidence 
of the lateness in the hour before Jesus is coming. John writes that this was true in his day. We could even say that it's even truer in our own, in our own day. Now he goes on to say that many of these antichrists who, who once belonged to the church and identified themselves as Christians abandoned the faith. Their defection only revealed they'd never really been true members of the Christian community. John wants the reader to understand that the purpose of them leaving the faith was to display their true colors. So to arm his readers against the lies of the Antichrist, he begins to remind them of the most important resource they have. You have an anointing from the Holy One. John is speaking of the Holy Spirit whom they received from Jesus Christ. This gift of the Holy Spirit and his teaching ministry enables them to have a genuine knowledge of truth. Thus, had this illumination of the Holy Spirit been in those who had left the faith, they wouldn't have departed the faith or they wouldn't have departed from the truth. In verse 21, John reminds his readers that they know the truth of the gospel. And because no theological lie comes from the truth, they possess the necessary criterion to recognize this faulty view. The view that I don't have to follow Christ, I can just be a good person. So what John concludes in verse, verses 22 and 23 is that both the antichrists, these antichrists, and those who defected from the community of Christians are one in the same. They both deny the historical earthly Jesus is identical with the heavenly divine Christ. In addition, both these heretics reject the divinity of father of the father and the son in his final two points john makes it clear the person who denies that jesus is the son of god does not have a relationship with the father conversely to confess the son is to acknowledge who he is so you see this ultimately provides the evidence that one enjoys a right relationship with both Jesus and the Father. There may be some of you who are sitting here right now and may be thinking of someone you know who you may consider, who you may think may be the, an antichrist. If you do, just be careful. Be careful about being judgmental and immediately labeling them. These verses are pretty specific about who would be considered an antichrist. It's those who were once in the fellowship with other believers, but, de but defected and are now denying the Father and the Son. But the thing is, 
Although there's a lot of people who speak out against our faith and are hostile to other Christians, they may not necessarily be antichrists. I can think of at least two other groups that don't fall into this category. The first group is unbelievers. You see, how can they be against Christ if they really don't know who he is in the first place? They've never been in the light, so therefore they know nothing of what they're speaking about. So when they hurl these insults and when they're speaking out against Jesus, trying to debunk Christianity, they don't know what they're talking about because as we've already covered in the previous weeks, they're in the darkness. They're used to it. They, they've never been in the light. So for them, they just don't get it. They don't understand. They don't know what they're talking about. This is how Paul describes them in Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. So when it comes to unbelievers, we shouldn't run away from them. Rather, we should run towards them in love and with the gospel of Jesus. As Christians, that is what we're called to do. That is a command from, from Jesus in Matthew 28. To go out and preach the gospel. And that's what we do. We shouldn't be afraid of unbelievers, no matter who it is, whether it's, whether it's uh, homosexual, whether it's the people in prison, whether it's uh, Muslims, whether it's whoever it may be, we shouldn't be afraid of them. We shouldn't avoid them. We should reach out to them and love. Not in an angry and debatable, you know, in a way that just is going to cause arguments and fights. No. Reach out in love. Share the gospel. Because the gospel we have is a loving gospel. The second group are the backslidden. And I know a lot about this group because I was backslidden for a good 10 years. And I was in bad shape. Those in this group are still believers, but have decided to put on the mask of the world and live in sin. These would be considered God's prodigal children. When it comes to the backslidden, those of us that are in the faith, those of us that are coming to church and, and worshiping and studying, we should never stop praying for them. And if you're able to, if you have the opportunity, remind them that their Heavenly Father will always be waiting for them to come back with arms open. He'll be there. Just like in the story we read, He wants you to come back. And He wants to love you. He wants to embrace you. Now, whoever it is you may be thinking about, don't stop praying for them. And don't stop showing them the love of Christ. 
And if you ever begin to believe that someone that you love, someone that you care about, or someone that you've been praying about is impossible to be reached, remember that Jesus said in Luke 18:27, what, what, what is impossible with man is possible with God. There's a lot of people I'm praying for. There's a lot of people my wife is praying for. We don't know. I mean, we don't know if they're going to be saved in our life in our lifetime, but God knows. And he's, he, we know that he's hearing our prayers. And he has a specific time, place, moment when he's going to, when that person is just going to reach out, whether it's the backslidden Christian or whether it's the unbeliever, wherever it may be. Yes, even those who are right now denying Christ. We have to just keep praying for them. God can do so many things. I've seen him do so many things and, and save people that are just, that you would think are just lost. They would never come to, to Christ. As I begin to close this morning, I want to share some final points about what we just read. Whether you're new, young, or more grounded in the faith, continue to grow in hope, faith, and love. Remind yourself on a consistent basis of the gospel that saved you and the eternal glory that awaits you. Secondly, love God above all else. The stronger your love for him becomes, the less you will love the world or the things of the world. And thirdly, if you've been born again, God's spirit is in you. And as a result, all you have, you have all the knowledge and the truth. You have the knowledge and truth in you. It is this truth that will keep you from denying the Father and the Son. It is this truth that will show you what is, hurt, what is harmful to you, what's keeping you from having that victory in Christ. For those of you who are maybe listening to this message online or watching or and you've spent far too long denying God and His Son, Jesus Christ, you can change that today by accepting Jesus into your heart, by rededicating your life to Him. As I mentioned, He's right there. He's just waiting for you to come back. He's not, we don't have a Savior who says, you know what, you screwed up. You're taking the time out. You're done. You know, I don't want anything to do with you. No. He's there. He's there, and he just wants you to come back, and he wants to embrace you. He wants to give you his grace. He wants to give you his love. And all you have to do is receive it. And if you ever feel just unworthy of it, this is just the lies of the devil. He sees you as worthy. He sees you as his child. 
Jesus died on the cross for you over 2,000 years ago to forgive you of your sins. He suffered on that cross for you. All your sins, everything that you've been through, everything that you've done. And as he hung there, all of humanity's sins came upon him. And yes, even your own sins. All you have to do is just ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for, to forgive you for your sins. And he will. Because that's what he died for. If you want to be forgiven, if you want that weight of sin to be taken from you, in a moment I'm, I'll lead you in a prayer to do that. But before you do, before I do that, I also want to tell those who have abandoned the faith or have backslidden, God wants you to come back. He wants you to come back home. He loves you and he's waiting for you with open arms. He, desire, he desires to give you, for you to have the peace and the security you once had when you were walking with him. And if you want that, I will also lead you in a prayer in a moment to do that, to come back to him. So at this moment, will everyone just bow your, your heads and close your eyes as I close in prayer? Or there may be a lot of people here, some people here, some people watching, or you know everyone's heart, Lord, that's listening to this message. You know where they've been. You know what's going on in their lives, Lord. Or right now you're reaching out to those who have, don't know you. And you're poking at their hearts, Lord. And if that's you, and you've never been born again, and you want to live in eternity with God, and you just want to be, just want to, and you want to follow Him. Just pray this wherever you're at. God, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross. And now, and that my sins have been placed upon you. Lord, I receive that free gift of forgiveness. Make me your child, Lord. I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe He is God, and I believe that He died for me. Accept that forgiveness, Lord, and I just want to walk with you the rest. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord.
so that I may walk with you for the rest of my life. Now to those who have walked away or may be unsure of where they're at, they just have made mistake after mistake after mistake. And they see how far they've walked away from God. If that's you and you want to come back, just again pray this in the quietness of your heart, wherever you're at. Lord, forgive me for walking away. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for falling into the lusts of my flesh, the lust of my eyes. Lord, I want to come back. I believe you will be there to accept me because I'm your child. Lord, I want to continue just to feel that freedom and that peace. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help me. Give me the strength I need to just walk with you from here on forward. God, I pray for those who prayed that. And yes, be with them. Strengthen them, Lord. Surround them with people that will encourage them with people that love you, people that love your word. Speak into their hearts, Lord. Fill them with your love. And may they just find comfort in your word. Lord, Thank you for this time and this opportunity here again just to teach your word. Bless us next time of fellowship. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.